Okay, we're going to take a couple cool topics. Well, uh, they're kind of cool, and we're going to maybe they're not cool, but we're going to try to make them cool. One is one is water quality and pH. Is your pond acidic? Is it not? And then we go to Troy, and he's he learned a few things this week. Yeah, man. Look, I mean, I don't care. I'm, look, we are water quality, water people nerds, and so everything we talk about is cool to us. And if it's not cool to other people, then I'm sorry, but they're L7 squares. So, yeah, watershed's very important. Uh, my topic this week was watershed, so uh, we get into all that. Me and Matt me and Matt love these topics because we're water nerds. Yep, and I hope you do too. Watershed's an important part of the lake, and, and I think you do a good job no matter what, Troy. Hey, this is Matt Rell. I'm sitting dockside with my Tennessee buddy, Troy Goldsby. We're going to take some time try to answer some questions from you hey back with another sitting dockside with troy and matt trying to answer some of your questions pretty interesting week this week i told you a couple weeks back we brought some bass in Uh, we also we also work with yellow perch i seen an image about that the other day right yeah it's awesome uh, it is uh yellow perch are one of the coolest fish that we work with, they're actually a lot of them are replacing in a lot of small ponds that feed, they're replacing what people would want for crappie because they're only independent energy sources from feed and they grow fast. That's fat. awesome. And then they expand a month on both sides of of uh fishing. They start to come out earlier, they go they kind of shut down during the hot times, but you catch bluegill and bass during that time and then they pick back up in the fall. So it's kind of a neat little introduction and, you know, I'll talk about more about them one time and how the genetics have changed and now they can tolerate poor water quality. And speaking of poor water quality, we had a couple people ask about, well, they were talking about clipper, right? And they were spraying in the clipper is very, very dependent on pH. On when That's right. Spray. And so this particular homeowner was sending his water sample out and he says he got it back from Texas somewhere. And we said, well, the pH is seven on the, on the report. Well, what I was trying to explain to him is you can't send your water samples to someone weeks later, test it and see what your pH is now. That's right. Uh, yeah, because it change, it changes through the day. That's right. That's right. It changes. So the as you wake up in the morning, uh, pH is, is lower. And as things photosynthesize... They and pull carbon dioxide out of the water. That's right. They, uh, they will basically change the pH. So if you take it to pH of 7 a.m., pH will be different at noon. And uh, if you take a pH at noon, it'll be different at four o'clock. And then if at midnight, it would drop back down. So as, as it goes throughout the day, your pH is going to continuously, it's a moving target throughout the afternoon. And yeah, so just, so just so people know, pH is a measure of the level of acidity of a, of anything, whatever the pH level is, oh, the, good. the level of acidity. So, what changes that in a pond is the level of carbon dioxide in the pond or the lake. So carbon dioxide is more acidic. And so when it's there, 
your your pH is going to be lower. So the lower the pH, the higher the level of acid in the pond, it, just in general terms. So as plants photosynthesize and they pull carbon dioxide out of the water column, your pH will raise, meaning that it is a less acidic pond throughout the day. And then once you get to nighttime and photosynthesis stops, after a certain time, that pH is going to start sinking back down again. Bingo. Glad you hit them on the acid. <clears throat> I jumped right in. pH is, yeah, shows how basic or acid your pond or lake is. So, and I'm not going to go into that part, but here's the cool part is alkalinity or total hardness, but we're going to keep it simple with alkalinity. So alkalinity basically creates a, uh, it's, it's basically a, we want to say a buffer, but that's, to me, more is more like it. I don't like to use that word when I try to describe this. Basically, alkalinity basically creates a pH of around seven and a half. So you have a little bit of acid already in your pond. And as the alkalinity increases, you have more slight acidity, let's say, right? And in there. So as your CO2 is in the lake itself <clears throat> it will um, as it depletes just like, like troy said the ph can't change because there's something in the water that won't basically is there's a lot of concentration of a certain ph so it doesn't allow the ph to change throughout the day as much as if you didn't have it so as the harder your pond is or the more alkalinity you have in your lake you have a constant ph and that uh, with that until that is all filled up the ph isn't going to change as much so as the day goes by on harder ponds or higher alkalinity it will change a lot less than one that's really soft you'll get spikes in ones that are really soft or aka don't have a high alkalinity well and, and so the, the question comes up you mentioned clippers so clipper likes a low ph so if you have a ph of you know, 6.8 in the morning and say 7.8 in the afternoon, you're better to do that application in the morning when the pH is 6.8. The other thing people ask is, well, my pH is low. Is that going to affect my fish? Well, it can a little bit, but the bigger problem is, is if you don't have a good alkalinity, your ability to buffer against pH swings, which can be harmful to the fish, is, is just not there. So, you need the alkalinity there, a high alkalinity, so that you're buffering that swing and it's not drastic during the day causing harm to the fish. That's right. You don't want a lot of – any living organism doesn't like a tremendous fast change. So as the pH can gradually go up or go, or go down, you don't want a bunch of pH – a large pH change. I will say this to you is that every – well, I'll just see if Troy knows himself – is that – Troy, what is the optimal pH? Uh, Matt, that would be uh, in Tennessee, 7.2. <laughs> yes, you want it around 7. And as things get uh, get a little more acidic, you actually will see things drop and you see things increase on it. So you want to keep it around 7. And as one digit of pH changes, Troy, then that is exponential. So that's like... You go to seven to that's two times, and if it goes to well seven to eight, and then if you go seven to nine, that's four times as acidic than it was at seven. Do you know that? 
And then seven to nine would be four times less acidic. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Thanks. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So four yeah. times. So it's exponential and everything. So if you like, so if the farther you get away from seven, it's times two every time. And then so you can, if you get really high acidic, and you can see why fish don't like a change between six to nine, because that would be like 16 times more acidic. Am I doing my math right? 16, yes. Yeah. So substantially different. So as we'll conclude on pH, we'll move from there. Also, water testing, how you test pH. So don't forget that, Troy. Is that a... Just go, just go to Walmart and buy a pool test kit. There you go. It's easy. It's easy. Don't send it off to a lab. Just now, there are some, listen, there's some things that need to be tested uh, in a lab. Uh, phosphorus levels, uh, you, you can't go buy that test kit. Um, you know, the types of phytoplankton and or cyanobacteria you might have, you need to send that off. But when it comes to pH and alkalinity, every pool test kit on the planet, if, whether it's a strip test or whether it's the one that has a little drop in it, you, all of them test pH and alkalinity. And it's 10 bucks and there's no need to send that off to anybody ever, uh, ever, ever, ever. That's right. So just, and, and then by the time it gets to the lab and they test it, it's going to be different than what your bond is going on right now. So test it right at home, test on site. What we use is a pH pen. We just have to calibrate it. But if you're just going to do yourself, go to Walmart, get your quick test kit. Now phosphorus and and like nutrients, phosphorus and nitrogen, that is where sending off to a, a certified surface water lab is really important. And that's right. Uh, this, I mean, that's a whole nother talk in itself. But as you work with your water quality, because it is the medium of all life in your pond, you, it's good to understand. It's good to send that, that information out. But we get a lot of nutrients in your pond. And you wanted to hit on something you learned this week on some, on some, watershed stuff yeah so you know we always kind of know what watershed means i mean if you have a pond or a lake then you need a certain amount of watershed to fill and maintain the water level in that pond or lake and for the most part you can you know down here in the south we can say a 10 to 1 ratio so if you have a one acre pond you need 10 acres of watershed basically 10 acres of watershed for every surface acre of water will over time fill that lake and should maintain the water level fairly well uh, droughts obviously change that. My question has always been, and I kind of got this answer this week, what does a shy watershed do to the the overall ability of a lake to maintain a water level? So that all comes down to the soil type. And I mean, there are, there's so many ways we could go with this, with this conversation. Did, did, uh, you, and say, it's probably, did you say shallow watershed? Uh, I don't know. Did I? Yeah. When you have a shallow watershed, did you mean that? Or did you mean... Small, I, I, small. I think I said shy. I, I okay. might say shallow. I don't know. Okay, but, well, it was a southern twang. Just it was tripping you up. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I have that. So uh, I've, I've got that pretty severely. Uh, <laughs> you've got it. I don't want to talk to you, Indiana. I mean, come on. <laughs> so when you think about when you think about a watershed, what you've got to think about is. Think about a potted plant. All right, so if you have a potted plant and you have a just a topsoil mix in that potted plant, you pour water through it, it runs through that potted plant really fast and you gather it in that bottom container really rapidly, right? Right. If you put clay in that, uh, a, heavy, uh, a heavier clay, 
you're going to saturate that soil and over time it's going to ease down through that, but it's going to take more time. So if you have a shy watershed, shy watershed, the only thing you're getting from a rain is that initial runoff. So it rains, it runs down the slope, it goes into your lake uh, and it helps some, but it doesn't really compensate for the water that you're losing on a daily basis. So with a proper watershed, not only do you get the initial runoff, but as that, that soil dewaters over time, just like a potted plant, that dewatering effect is moving into your pond or lake. So what that, what that brings me to is that you typically in the summer months can figure you're going to lose about a quarter of an inch a day of water from a water body. But if you have the proper watershed, as it's dewatering, you were re, you were replacing and replenishing a big portion of what you're losing to evaporation. So in areas where we see shy watersheds, shy watersheds, we see that we get more like a quarter to a half inch a day sometimes uh, of evaporation and overall water loss because that watershed is not compensating for the loss uh, that you have to evaporation. That's and that's what I want to tell. That's what I want to tell everybody. I like it. So I'll try to explain the way I understand it. You're basically saying if you get a rain and you have a lot of areas that are porous, that water kind of sits up there for reserves, right? Is what you're saying to me? And then as your pond goes down, then it's percolating into the lake from the watershed itself. So Yeah, so and that's not with every – so there's some soils that are different, obviously. Some soils lose their water fast, so you may get – you may get an initial watershed and the, the soil may dewater really fast and you've got an initial reaction uh, and then it's gone. But there are some soils, especially in middle Tennessee, that they retain water for a longer period of time because they're more of a clay type of, uh, of soil. So it takes them longer to dewater. So you get an effect that is more long lasting than a very porous type of soil. Hmm. So, that's interesting because we've always looked at watersheds in a lot of different ways on amount of volume and then trying to change the watersheds into better ways so we don't have initial phosphorus coming in. But you're saying you're actually seeing long-term results from the type of not only the watershed, like for instance, being forest or grassland or or crops, but you're saying below that topsoil, what's inside there is going to dictate what's it, what's coming into your pond later. And yeah. I've I mean, always, it, it, it has to, it, yeah. it has to. The, uh, the hardest part for me when I first started was that lake management does not start, not always start at the pond's edge. And that's really hard to people. It really starts at the top of the hill because that's yeah. the beginning of your lake. So, Everything you do from that top of the hill to the pond's edge is just as important as the pond's edge into the into the into the lake. You know, and that you know that principle doesn't. I mean, this is this is something I've been thinking about for a while. But that principle doesn't always hold true. I have some shy watershed lakes that get amazing amounts of water flow from from rains more than what you would anticipate. But then I also have some that are shy watersheds that. Um, Rain, rain is never is is rarely going to keep them full. If rain keeps them full, it's it's through the winter months because in the summer, there's just nothing there to replenish that lake. So, the type of watershed you have for maintaining a healthy lake, I think, is 
like you were talking about, you, you've got to look at that at the beginning of a project. And it has to be at the top of the list. And you go, all right, we've got the watershed that will keep this to be a healthy lake. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to have a battle in the summer months, uh, late spring, summer, and early fall months of, uh, of maintaining your, your water levels and the he- overall health of the lake. I'll tell you about a project that I did last year, Troy. It's just interesting what you have to kind of goes along this scenario is we brought some excavators in and some guys have dug some ponds pretty much, you know, they've, they've dug a lot of ponds and they looked at this site and dug down and it was sand and they were like, won't hold water, won't hold water. And then I brought a old timer in that basically he's been around for, I don't know. He's probably dug hundreds of lakes and he looked at the site and he says, yeah, it'll hold water. We just have to, instead of having it here, which was kind of not on top of the hill, but in a higher area, he pointed to down here, which was just like 200 yards away and was about six feet lower. He goes, because all this sand is going to be perking. And if he, he went over to this area down below and he kicked it with his shoe and he seen a little bit of water. It was real wet in that area. He goes, it's all perking from all this sand in the place where it's going, it will hit some clay eventually. And then it'll perks out down here. And sure enough, I mean, I was pretty dubious. I will be honest. I was like digging a pond in sand. It sounds like some trouble to me, but we went down here and pushed up with the clay that we had to pushed it up to the dam and then dug it down deep. And we could not keep the water out of it. Wow. It was, like two pumps and pumping it down and finally just to just to move dirt finally we got you know got the lake or it's it's basically it's ended up to be about it's going to end up to be about an acre and uh but yeah it was it was a pretty interesting project because every person that kicked the dirt was said you couldn't dig a pond there but yeah and he did he did dug it in sand and, and a really cool part about this is his watershed is like, I mean, two to one, very small watershed, but he has all the water he would ever want. And it's all the cleanest perk coming through. And he's going to be able to do a lot of cool things because whatever we do to that water, it's going to be gone in in two months. It's going to be down the way because it's all brought in. And and I mean, it's just basically, you know, new water flushed out to between in and out through perk and, that's pretty really, awesome. Yeah, really cool scenario. You know, I'll tell you my take my takeaway from that, Matt, is that you call an acre water body a lake. And in the south and in the south we call that a pond. Well, you don't want to hurt the customers' names. I mean, <laughs> uh, we we work on a lot of lakes and don't well, but the uh I, I will tell you this. So the definition, so Bill Dance, who we've talked about, uh, who's coming on in a couple of weeks told me that the difference in a, the definition of a pond or a lake was whether you were buying or selling. So <laughs> yeah, it's a pond. If you're buying, it's a lake if you're selling. So yeah. uh, I've always learned is if, if it's, <laughs> if it's yours, it's a pond. If it's mine, it's a lake. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Good deal. Yep. All right, man. We better, we better close this up. I appreciate it, buddy. 
Thank you. It started raining. It started raining on me, so I'm back in the cab of my truck. So I seen you had to move in there. So appreciate right. you talk me. soon. This podcast, Sitting Dockside, is brought to you by Private Water Natural Resource Association, a nonprofit built just to educate private pond and lake owners on water quality and fisheries and all of that good stuff. There's videos, there's places to read, and there's a community built right into that website. So if you want to learn more, jump to pwnra.org and click. And by all means, make sure that this continues in a future podcast, education, video, become a member. If nothing else, there's tons of platforms, YouTube, Facebook, just hit like, send a comment. We appreciate everything you can do here at PWNRA.